Hi, GP learners. Welcome to this episode of the GP Lane Podcast with myself, Andy, and we've got a special guest with us, Dr. Carter Singh, who's one of our local colleagues and also a uh, representative of the LMC who attended the LMC conference, which took place yesterday. And that's what we're talking about in this episode. Um, so how are we doing, Carter? I'm good. Thank you, Gandhi. Hi, Andy. Hi, good morning. I'm good too. So as I said, we're talking about the LMC conference. So this was the England conference that took place yesterday. Slightly different in the fact that, as like many other things, it's virtual, um, which has been a bit of a difference in terms of the way that conferences typically happen. But I'm aware not every GP goes to LMC conference, and it is a sizable thing in terms of the impact it can have for the profession, what happens with contracts and all that kind of stuff. So I thought it'd be worth really useful to have Carter come in and explain his experience of the LMC conference and also talking about some of the interesting results that we've had, particularly when it came to things like the PCN DES, the COVID vaccination enhanced service, and a slightly controversial thing that I think we're going to talk about, but we'll get to that in a second. But handing over to you, Carter, tell us about the LMC conference. Thanks, Gandhi. Now, what usually happens every... I've been to conference. There's two conferences. There's the England conference and there's the UK conference. And I've been to a few England conferences now, and usually what happens is that each LMC from up and down the country select um, people uh, to go to the conference. And um, so we all get together in a certain location and ahead of the conference, we are sent an agenda or schedule of business. And there's loads of different contemporary items on that agenda. And each LMC usually puts forward a motion on uh, a particular topic. And then we all get together in a big conference hall in um, the conference itself. And we're giving voting slips. So you get a, a green card and a red card. And each motion has little subheadings under it usually as well. And then you're asked to vote on it. And it's usually done electronically um, when we're there. Um, in person and then all of these motions are either passed or rejected and so that's in a nutshell what conference is about it can um, seem quite daunting if you're a newbie and you've never been before uh, because there's loads of different things that you have to understand like uh, giving s speaker slips in so that <clears throat> ahead of each motion you can actually um, put a slip in and you can talk on the topic either for or against the motion and then taking all of that on board and taking all of the different opinions on board the audience then vote on that matter so um, for example this one yesterday there were loads of different topics uh, you can see from the agenda it's, uh, it's about 100 pages long uh, you normally have introductions from the chair of the GPC England and then you have different motions such as role of NHS England, digital first, core funding, NHS 111, the GP consultation, DDRB, chosen motions, uh, sessional GPs um, part in it, ARRS, PCN funding, vaccination program. These are just some of the things that were discussed wow. yesterday and voted upon. So it was a, a jam-packed um, agenda yesterday. Carter, can I ask a quick question? So, so I'm. I know that the two of you have um, are quite involved with the LMC, and you've been to LMC conferences before. But I've I've never been, and I was just wondering. So, um, there are there are votes at the LMC conference. I was just wondering, how do they translate into uh, policy or contract change or negotiating positions? What's the connection between that and what actually happens for the profession? 
So I'm not 100% sure on the answer to that, Andy, but my understanding of it is that all of these motions that are passed or rejected, usually probably the ones that are passed, it will be quite nonsensical for a null hypothesis to be forwarded, but the ones that are passed um, are then given to the GPC, the negotiators, who negotiate on behalf of the profession, and they sit around the negotiating table with the powers that be, whether that be government, the Treasury, DOH, whoever it might be, uh, and then take those forward, and hopefully they will then feed into forming an informing policy, hopefully. Yeah, no, okay. I'd agree with that. My understanding has always been that the LMC conference is the the route for grassroots GPs via their LMCs, which is their, you know, effectively their their mandated organisations to support this, to give the instruction to the GPC, the negotiating body of general practice, um, in terms of what direction they should be looking towards in terms of changes with particularly the GP contract, but also generally, you know, how a general practice works and stuff. Um, and it's not to say that they have to make it happen but they at least have to bring the topics to discussion within the negotiating sphere with obviously our contractors, NHS England, et cetera, and things in the Department of Health. That's always been my understanding of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think it's a, I think, yeah, it's an, it's an opportunity for, for a bottom-up approach, for grassroots opinion from those who are mandated or elected into the LMC to be you know, fed upwards through the chain so it informs policy and decision-making, yeah. And I guess with that, we did see quite a few motions being brought forward, as Carter mentioned, that it was a fairly packed agenda by the sounds of it. And if people do want to have a look at that, we'll put the link to the agenda in the show notes. So do feel free to have a look at that link. It is 100 pages long. Um, <laughs> but we're going to cover a couple of them and, and potentially the big ones today. Um, so I guess the first one that came to my mind when I had a look through some of the results, and actually people did have the opportunity to watch this one live as well, um, was about the PCN DES in particular. So, I mean, this has been covered in a lot of the GP media polls today and GP online and that kind of stuff. But can you tell us a little bit about that particular motion, Carter? Uh, what number was that, Gandhi? I'm afraid I don't know. So I know they've all oh, got right. weird numbers and they never yeah, run in yeah. order either as well, do they? But I think it was to do with um, uh, putting a vote to general practice about participation in the DES for next year um, in yeah. terms of contracting the negotiations and stuff. Right. Okay. Because as you can imagine, COVID was a massive part of the agenda yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I can't comment specifically on which one you're referring to, because there's so many items under that agenda item for the PCN um, one. Um, but what I can say is that on these issues, um, you'll have to look it, look it up, Gandhi, in terms of which ones were passed, which ones were, because there's hundreds of them, so I can't say oh, which sure. ones were and weren't. Carter, can I ask, what, what, was the, what was the mood in the room around yeah. primary care network and the primary care network dead? So people feeling positive about this or, um, you know, what was, what was the mood in the room? It was mixed. As you can imagine, there's always going to be two camps. There's going to be one extreme of GPs who believe it's our ethical moral obligation as GPs to vaccinate the whole country, end of. Then you've got the other side 
the other camp, the other end of the spectrum, which say, look, you know, why should it be GPs fronting this and taking ownership and responsibility of it? It's a whole system approach. It's a collective in- endeavor. We're all in it together, and it should be a joined up uh, approach to 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 roll out the vaccination programs where GPs are a major part of the program, but not necessarily taking all ownership and responsibility for it. Um, so you've always got those kind of two polarized views. And yesterday, the air um, of kind of responsibility, ethical and moral ob- obligations, which sometimes override the contractual obligations, uh, or sometimes have to go hand in hand with them, were were vigorously discussed. And um, I, I spoke on 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 this uh, motion or several of these motions um, as well yesterday. Um, essentially outlining my views on it so yeah i mean overall um i think all gps want to play a a major part in the rollout of this vaccination but not at the expense of um having to um uh, compromise core contractual obligations and to to provide a high standard and high quality of care for their patients and ultimately we have to understand that this should be instead of rather than as well as everything we already charge to to do for our patients. Mm-hmm. So I believe that was motion 295, if I remember rightly, and that was by the, uh, apologies if I get this wrong, I think it was the Cambridge LMC that put that one forward. Um, and there were so, five yeah, parts two, to that, wasn't it? Sorry, Gandhi, that's a slightly different one. So the 295 was in relation to the actual vaccination programme, whereas the PCN um ones were all um in relation to the logistics of the rollout of the vaccination program and the Mm -hmm. the kind of politics about who should be doing what and the logistics and operational kind of um sides and aspects of of, of how it's going to be um delivered Uh, but yeah 295 was relating to the vaccination program specifically it was in five parts uh, and essentially, the fifth part um, was um, referring to confidence in the GPC um, negotiators. Yeah, so all parts were passed except for the final part, part five, um, which was a, a vote of, of confidence in this case for the GPC negotiators. Mm. And how how was the mood in the room at that point? Because I, I guess a vote of confidence in the GPC negotiators isn't something that comes up often. I would imagine it's not something that comes up often. And I think that I think that the audience was split. Uh, I mean, you, you, it was it was very well debated. You had people who were saying that essentially the whole country is in a very difficult and challenging situation. So no matter how talented the negotiators we are where we are with this situation and essentially it's not so much fault of the gpc negotiators that we are where we're at it's um simply a case of this topic was thrashed out and negotiated ad nauseum and essentially Mm -hmm. this is the best deal that we could get and it's now um, a case of trying to 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 actually work positively with our stakeholders and our partners collaboratively in trying to make this a success and vaccinate as many people as possible but in terms of the no confidence vote that that wasn't supported so um essentially there there is confidence in the gpc negotiators well at least that's what was voted on true Uh, and i guess from 
reading through some of the stuff, one of the things that I was aware of with that particular vote. So as you said, it, there was it was the motion was passed in terms of there being a vote of confidence in the GPC negotiators. I wonder if part of this came about of the way that the enhanced service was managed. So I, I know that many people in the GPC were told it was a direct enhanced service, and then it got changed to an enhanced service under special regulations, so that it could be more adaptable. Um, because of the exceptional situation that we're in. But I think many people felt that that was uh, an unusual thing to happen after the effect. Um, and the fact that it was a 38% people said that they actually had or voted for saying they had no comment. So although the motion was passed, there was still an element that, you know, a reasonable element that felt that that confidence may not have been there. As you mentioned, it was, um, you know, felt that there was confidence in the negotiating team and it's a really challenging job and definitely not one I would ever wish to have. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I, I think there is definitely an element of the mood of general practice is a bit strained. Uh, would, would you agree with that? I think you're right, Gandhi. And, and I think it does come down to the detail in the end. And when essentially, as a profession, you find out what you'll be doing tomorrow morning on the news headlines the night before, that mm -hmm. almost kind of um, it, it almost um, undermines the trust that's given to us by powers that be. Um, and we want to uh, feel part of um, co-decision making. We really want to feel part of the decision making process rather than feel that we're being done to. Now, I mean, we have to think about the, the reality of this. And ultimately, things like COF, which were temporarily suspended when the first lockdown came about but yet now in the second lockdown when we're entering a flu season and we've got winter pressures we're rolling out one of the biggest vaccination programs in history we haven't been given that leeway or that headspace by mm -hmm. the powers that be to say look guys why don't you you know temporarily suspend quaff until at least we get some semblance of normality in general practice so we can free up some resources so you can actually concentrate on the task at hand i mean essentially we all know that asking mrs miggins to come down to the practice for her face-to-face -face consultation to get her systolic down from 142 down to 138 so we can tick the box that we've done quaff because as we all know points mean prizes you know do you think that that minuscule level of risk reduction for Mrs. Miggins is justified in exposing her and our staff to the threat of developing COVID or contracting COVID and its complications. I don't think that's mm -hmm. ethically and morally acceptable. And I personally think that we really need to be given the headspace and the the wriggle room almost to be able to effectively de deliver these 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 services and that was kind of like the sentiment in the room yesterday and and i called upon the the chief negotiators of gpc in their negotiations to provide us with reassurances asap not in mid-february or at the end of february when all the practices have done the work for quaff but in the mm -hmm. next two weeks so that we can guarantee a resuspension of quaff with ring-fenced income in other words, income based upon the practices last year's achievements uh, and roll those forward so that we guaranteed that income so we can keep general practice running because obviously that is one of the major income streams which are which are dwindling in general practice, which we still have. Um, mm. So to guarantee the income, but give us a break from Quaff so that we can deliver this service and be fully part of it rather than be ridiculed by the public as or labelled or stigmatised as fat cat GP shirking their responsibility um, and not honouring the GP rollout, uh, uh, the, the vaccination programme rollout. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And obviously, in this country, we have very uh, differing models. So locally, as you know, in Nottinghamshire, we've got the kind of the the offer from the local authority where they spent millions of pounds and many months developing this local rollout. And yet this enhanced service that you mentioned doesn't really seem to dovetail with that rollout um, program. They need to be synergistic. They need to run side by side uh, and complement one another um, so that it makes our job easier in rolling the vaccination program out rather than being at, at odds with one another. Um, so, you know, yes, we do have a big part to play as GPs in rolling this vaccination program out, but it shouldn't just be about general practice. We should be one part, a major part in the rollout of the vaccination program, but it should be resourced fairly and equitably and it shouldn't be at the expense of compromising our patient care and quality of standards that we provide for our lists. Mm-hmm. Andy, uh, I mean, that's a lot that we've heard. What are your thoughts? Because I know, particularly like you said, the LMC stuff is um, not something you're aware of fully. Yeah, it's, it's not an area that, I, that, I, that I've become deeply involved in, like, like the two of you. Um, yeah, so I, I had a question and it, re- it relates really to... Um, how these things are negotiated really it's an area i'd just like to know a little bit more about um currently we've got a government that that really plays hardball in negotiations and you you know you see this in other areas of of geopolitics like brexit and so forth um and other uh, elements of how they've handled the covid19 um situation uh really tough and they use unorthodox um negotiating tactics and i was just wondering how who is it that negotiates on our behalf and um you know how how well equipped do you think they are in this kind of new world of negotiations and um you know is there anything that you think they should do differently even carter there you go. there's there's my question that's a tricky one um yeah. i think we have seen different tactics so carter mentioned the fact that we find out about what we're doing in the headlines not through authorized channels and that's even those on the other side sometimes so i know even nhs england have been caught out by this themselves so even though they're, they're the people that general practice effectively is contracted by you know there have been comments that they've even felt you know caught out by some of the department of health making sweeping statements in you know the the the, the policy briefings that we all watch on tv at five o'clock and that kind of stuff that you know nobody was aware of so, so there is a different kind of methodology the government seems to be using with covid that that in particular um how to tackle it well yeah like i said i'm 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 glad i don't have that job i don't know how do you how do you you play ball with that and also i was just wondering whether you know do they have um you know ex-fbi negotiators you know (laughs) helping that helping them out or you know or are they are they just a team of gps because uh my, my worry is that they might be a bit outgunned you know if they're uh sort of senior um you know medical grandees you know uh in this new world you know do, what sort of support do they have you might not know but i was just wondering who was out there batting for us i agree andy i think uh, essentially the, the these are very experienced um gps who have been i believe voted in by grassroots gps and i mean any organisation where, where it's a membership organisation will only engage and there'll be enthusiastic buy-in if the leadership adequately represents them, if they feel that the, the leadership stands by them shoulder to shoulder and leads from the front rather than from their ivory towers in a command and control way. And essentially, you know, 
our negotiators need to be um, the ones who also we we feel and have confidence in that are um, you know living, breathing, sweating, sleeping general practice like we do day day in day out and have our fingers on the pulse of what matters to frontline coal-faced GPs and um, have a real understanding how contemporary issues are, are, are relatively thwarting general practice and threatening the profession. And, and like I said earlier, we don't want to feel done to. We want to be really an active part in, in co-design co and decision-making. And so our negotiators also need to need to be on the front line with us so that they can adequately articulate uh, our concerns across uh, from the DOH or the Treasury um, when they're sitting at the negotiation table. And we need to have that trust um, in our negotiators as well. The last thing we want is is to find out at the 11th hour that tomorrow we'll be rolling out a service, um, which could be potentially a game-changing service, um, and we haven't planned or, or you know, had that briefing or been involved in the decision making beforehand uh, it kind of undermines uh, the, the the trust uh, or confidence that we have in our negotiators but what i can say is that uh, i do so, I, I know some of the negotiators who were uh, who were negotiating on our behalf on behalf of the profession uh, and they are yes these very senior gps but they are uh, very well informed and i do believe that they have an understanding of what general practice is going through at the moment. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I, I think, like I said, it's a job I hope I never have because I don't think it's something I could do. And uh, there is that element, I think, of many people criticising and commenting on what people in senior positions do and how they do it. And I think there has to be the recognition that they are not easy jobs to do. Um, and to do them effectively, you will never have an answer that, is right for everybody. That's it's a tough gig. It's a tough gig, Gandhi. Like you say, it is like it's an unenviable position. And mm. no matter what you say, if you say your favourite colour is blue, you'll have ten people saying it should be yellow and ten people <laughs> saying it's red. And you're never going to please everyone all of the time. True. That's one of those bitter pills you have to swallow in that kind of role. But that's the that's the gig. Yeah, and Absolutely. I would say I, I, they've got my sympathy as well, to be honest, because I think it's really, really difficult to um, without getting too political really but to deal with this, this this kind of government that will that will leak and you know brief against you and, and play sort of moral one-upsmanship sort of games it's it's mm. really really tough um yeah so yeah not a job i would want either not you're a job right I andy you know you're right like you said it the, the political kind of um juggling that one has to do there was a motion yesterday on it in fact yesterday saying um politicians are making statements like the NHS will get whatever it needs. Rishi Sunak said that. And yet, you know, we are the ones, I mean, you know, they're using it as a political hot potato uh, mm. for, vote, for vote winning and uh, to appease the public. But guess who has to front those false promises? It's GPs. And guess mm. who the public have access to, who they can pick the phone up and vent at when these false promises aren't met. It's not Boris, uh, Boris or Rishi, I can guarantee you that. It's you, myself and Gandhi, who's going to have to pick the phone up to Mrs. Miggins when she's annoyed that we haven't given her what Rishi promised. And that's, that is the, the, the bitter reality of it, unfortunately. Sure. Thank you, everybody. Uh, I'm aware we talked about loads of really 
interesting parts and particularly about the LMC conference and how that functions and how it works and also some of the results that we've had from the conference. If people do want to check out more information, there'll be tons of stuff in the show notes um, to guide you in terms of recent articles and stuff in terms of the votes and things. Thank you for your time, Carter. It's been really appreciated. I know your experience and the passion that you speak about these topics has been very well received by the profession as well and myself in terms of you know what we've seen. And thank you for representing us as well locally for Nottingham. No, thank you. No, thank you, Gandhi and Andy, for having me uh, on your on your show. It's been really enjoyable, and thank you for your kind words. And as always, yeah. And as always, each of you, if you've got any comments or questions, let us know down below. Happy to try and answer them. And we're here to help save you, your patients, time by taking hands in your primary care and learning. We'll catch you in the next episode.